the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice spots. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove move its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon us. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for the Gospel Proclamation comes from the text I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of our theme for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. Beloved for his unlovable wants. O oh, our beloved keeper of the vineyard, and of his vintage grapes we can sing, and sing God's people did. It is an image of prosperity and glory that lets the joy well up from within like our favorite hymn sung in church. It sings of a land flowing with milk and honey and all the promises of ongoing prosperity. This parable was sung by God's people at the Festival of Booths, a feast that reminded them how God provided for them when they didn't have a home and lived in tents. And Yahweh likewise had not a temple, but rather a tabernacle to dwell in as well. For seven days they celebrated at the harvest and remembered how God provided for them. They also celebrated as a family and were commanded to include the servants. They were also compelled to include the priest, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widowed. For they all had no home, but were never homeless when under Yahweh's covering. It is indeed a good time to sing, for the bad times turned out to be the good old days, because Yahweh is always good all the time, and especially when we need him the most. And Isaiah's prophecies to God's people, when the days of wandering in the desert were over, God set about to be with them, where they were, a solid resident in their midst. One time, on a visit to see family in Colorado, we went out to dinner at one of our favorite Buffalo Burger restaurants, Ted's, created by the mouth of the South himself, Ted Turner. 
Say what you like about his public persona. He still makes an awesome buffalo meat burger and serves it with ambiance and panache we crave every time we are near it. What was interesting to me on this particular visit was what was located right by the restaurant. Now, it was not unlike some new communities here where Developers are making well-thought-out managed maps before they ever turn dirt for a single building. Whole food stores, open-air shopping sites, and parks are all carefully woven into the fabric of the community plan for easy access of cars, bicycles, and pedestrians alike. Then the apartments, condos, and housing developments are carefully and artfully spaced around those centers of community gathering. I know what some of you are thinking. That's just like the villages, Pastor. Nothing new there. And you would be right. But this one had something I never saw before. Right in the middle of the community, right at the prime real estate section, was the last building you would expect to be so prominently featured. It wasn't the Whole Foods Market. It wasn't some high-end retail or sporting goods store. And it wasn't even the glass-walled palace of the latest iPhone innovation. No. Right at the center, with no doubt at all as to its preeminence and permanence, was an architecturally traditional, white, clappered, huge Christian church. God bless that enterprising pastor for finding a way to get that church into the midst of God's people to be their spiritual nourishment, whether they knew they needed it or not. When the Israelites sang of the joys of Yahweh's presence in their midst, the parable made it clear. He indeed took up residence with them right in their midst. He built a permanent dwelling and removed the stones to make a way for his precious grapes. He prepared the soil for long-term nourishment of the choice vines he planted there. He put up a double barrier of protection to make sure those from the outside would never threaten his prized vineyard. In an ancient example, Isaiah describes our modern-day, all-amenities, full-service, clappered, modern but traditional church right in the middle of the community, waiting to sprout forth a people to God. Unfortunately, something stinks. So let us hold our noses, people, lest the stink rubs off on us. After all the glories of Yahweh's preparations, good grapes were nowhere to be found. While the text translates this as wild grapes, the words that Yahweh chooses implies more than that simple rendering. These were beyond wild. They were way past sour grapes. They were yucky, nasty grapes that just plain stank. In fact, the language is so devastating in verses 3 to 4 that we use these very verses on the most devastating day of worship in the church year calendar. And not only the most devastating day of worship, 
but in the most devastating part of that worship service as well. We save these verses for Good Friday once every year, and we recite these verses as the reproaches of our Savior Jesus as he hangs on the cross, dying in excruciating pain for our sins that put him there. What happened to the singing? What happened to the celebrating? Where did it all go wrong? Oh, the outrage of God's people in Isaiah's day? Who did this? Who ruined it for everyone? How dare they? Second Samuel tells of us a, of a similarly outraged King David. When the prophet Nathan came to him in chapter 12 to relate a tale of a man that took for granted all that Yahweh had given him and gave in turn to Yahweh nothing but his devastating, rancid sin. And the Lord said to Nathan, to David, and he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, And if you know what he said, join with me in saying it. You are the man. When we ask what went wrong, we, like the people in Isaiah's day, must admit, we went wrong. Just like David was handed house, wives, and everything God had to give him to be the greatest king ever, it still wasn't enough. He still had to covet, cavort, and kill to have more and more until only the reproach of Yahweh through the prophet Nathan brought him down on bended knee in shame for all he had done. Likewise, the people of God had to have their promised land ripped out of their Baal worshiping and waving hands, because even though they have been given everything by God, it wasn't enough. Homes to live in instead of tents, a temple built by King Solomon, David's son, and impenetrable walls around their cities to protect them from all outside enemies. But it still wasn't enough. They wanted a God that didn't give them what God wanted. They wanted a God that gave them what they wanted. What a warning to behold. Do Christians cry out at injustice today while God is ready to rip it all away? Have we been given the word and sacrament only to want our own way on the internet? 
Do we have peaceful sanctuaries of worship only to skip church for stadiums and theme parks of discontent? Have we all that we need only to deny God our offering to covet what we never need? Christ calls from his Good Friday cross to all of us. Oh, my people, wherein have I offended you? What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for you? No doubt. We were, and sometimes still are, jerks to God. The hate-filled Hebrews did it. The irate and irreconcilable Israelites did it. The jerky Judeans did it. The fearsome Pharisees and sickening Sadducees of the gospel lesson today did it. Even we do it. We ignore him, we deny him, and even just plain forget him. Our sinful hearts have simply caused us to abandon him again and again and again. But the prophecies of the Old Testament and the gospel of our Lord shows us today that when we abandoned him, forgot him, and hated him, and even killed him, he comes to be among us. He builds the nurturing community of our church to feed us. And then he willingly dies for us so we may dwell with him forever in spite of our sins. This is why he is called the Beloved. Because he loves us when we were anything but lovable and deserved no one like him at all. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.